Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. Remember to subscribe to our free podcast so you won't miss any of our illuminating content. Here is episode 228. We are so blessed to live in this free country where we have an opportunity to stand up for the things that we value and that we know are important to us and to our children. Benjamin Franklin once said, Do not curse the darkness, rather light a candle instead. If you're ready to set your mind on fire, then prepare yourself for the Luminous Mind with your host, Rebecca Bowman. Today's fire starter is Julie Ann Young. Julie Ann is from Idaho, where she grew up and was taught very well by her parents to work hard, carefully analyze information and ideas, pursue your dreams with a passion, and fearlessly stand up for truth. She is a wife and mother, a scout leader, a gardener, a hobby farmer, and an avid reader and researcher, an editorial columnist, and an American to the core. She's married to Kevin Young, and they have 10 beautiful children. They own a small hobby farm that includes Jersey cows, a colorful flock of chickens, and a durothermal greenhouse. Her family loves to work hard, play hard, hike and camp, make beautiful music, and participate in dramatic productions. She pursued and earned a bachelor's degree in education. She's an individual of faith and has a strong tradition of service in her church and community. As a mother, she understands that each child has unique strengths and weaknesses and that excellent education directly addresses the real needs of children, one child at a time. Over the last dozen years or so, she has become an avid student of principles of government, including those contained in our founding documents and the stories and writing and philosophy of those who shaped our political system. The latest, most pressing educational issue is called CSE, or Comprehensive Sex Education. It is very important that parents are fully informed on the content of the curriculum, which is destructive and demoralizing to all those who are affected. This is a goal at this time to warn parents, educators, and leaders of CSE. We would like to make a disclaimer. This podcast may contain content unsuitable for young children. Welcome, Julianne. Hi, how are you today? (laughs) I'm so excited to hear more about your message. However, before we get into any of that, can you tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Oh, you know, I am a mom, got 10 beautiful kids. My oldest is 23. My baby is just turning three this year. Um, I'm also a mom that loves to teach my kids. So I've been a home educator from the start. I'm a person who loves to read and analyze. I have spent a lot of time studying different philosophies and trying to understand where people come from and why they think why they think the way they think. And I'm also a very passionate American. I love our constitution and this beautiful free country that we have and the principles of freedom that bless our lives and let us have the opportunity to make choices and be responsible for our lives. That's awesome. Well, in your bio, we kind of talked about that. I want to hear the background to how you decided to really start being this avid student of our founding documents and then how that has kind of worked into what you're doing now. Yeah, you know, I I don't think there was any one magic moment when my life changed along those lines, but I've always loved my country a lot. And I reached a point in teaching my kids when I've wanted to really be able to teach them effectively. And so I started studying the law by Bastier, proper roles of government by Ezra Taft Benson, the 5,000 year leap. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And the more I read, the more just entranced I was with what a beautiful gift we have in our free society. And uh, it's just a natural thing when you start thinking about something, you look around you and all of a sudden you start noticing it <laughs> yeah, in lots of places where you wouldn't have noticed it before. And those principles just started to come to life for me. And because I loved them, it was a real natural thing then to want to defend them and stand up for them. 
That's awesome. Well, and then how has that worked into what you're doing now with running for as a representative and stuff and and then also your work with uh, CSE? So right now I am in the middle of a campaign for a seat in the Idaho House of Representatives. We got into this because I have become an involved citizen, somebody that studies issues and speaks up when I think that something is not right. And so there was a bill put forward by my representative this last year that would have changed the sex education statute in Idaho in a way that I believed was dangerous to parental rights and also dangerous to our kids. And so I started working to try to address that with my representative. And after, you know, pursuing just about every option that we could see to make a difference just through a citizen um, perspective, we reached the conclusion that she just sees this differently than we do, and we weren't going to change her mind. So we felt like the best thing to do was to give the people in the area an option on the ballot so they could make a choice. And uh, we actually looked really hard for someone else to do that at first, uh, but didn't find quite the right person that had just the perfect life situation and the right skills to do that effectively. And so the last night before the filing deadline, I was up in the night and (laughs) (laughs) just talking to my husband at four o'clock in the morning. And (laughs) pretty soon he turned to me and said, you know what, we can do this. This is important and we can make this work. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, what we're about, right? That we step up to the plate when we see something that we don't agree with or or ways that, you know, we want to be represented and we take it, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is what it is all about, to live in a a self-governing country. Absolutely. That's great. And so what do you feel like, you know, as as you've began doing all this, how do you feel like your paradigm has changed over time and with experience with being a citizen and how, you know, we can do more as free people of the world? You know, too often we really do expect someone else to do the work. It's easy. (laughs) It's really easy. But I have learned that if we're willing to put forth the work and the effort, we can make a difference. With this particular sex education issue, there were two versions of the bill put forward. The first version um, was House Bill 414, and people spoke out about it, and we objected to it, and there was enough public concern expressed that that was pulled, and a new version was drafted, which was not an improvement. And that particular version, my representative uh, introduced that on a Wednesday morning, And the bill was not available for the public to view until Thursday afternoon. And then that same representative who happens to be the committee chair of the committee where it was being heard, scheduled her bill for a hearing at nine o'clock Friday morning. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Which means that as citizens, we had less than 24 hours to give our input and make a difference on this issue. And um, in that one afternoon, we had about 170 signatures on an email that was in that representative's email before she left the office at five o'clock. Oh, wow. That was while everybody was at work. (laughs) And we still were able to make our voices heard. And those 170 people and many others, I'm sure, uh, contacted all the members of the education committee and objected to this bill. And it was interesting at the hearing on on Friday morning, um, all 12 Republicans on the committee voted against it. And they commented that they had had so much public involvement and concern on this one issue. It was, it was really a lot. So we were able to make a difference. That's awesome. Well, and that's what we need to do is to really study the issues and to be able to, you know, follow those things, right? I mean, a lot of us are just kind of our heads locked down and we're focused on what we're doing in our lives. But if we don't pay attention, sometimes things end up getting slipped in that we may not, you know, agree with, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And it was pretty intense because we knew we had one afternoon to address it. And there were a lot of us that just dropped everything. (laughs) And spent our afternoon sending emails and making phone calls. But, you know, if if that law had gone through, 
it would have been a process that would have taken months and maybe years to reverse it, if it could have been reversed. And so that time was a good investment. Yeah. <laughs> well yeah, well, spent. We all know that once something gets in, getting it out is nearly impossible. <laughs> so definitely makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. Here I am talking with somebody that's running in my particular state on this issue. But one of the reasons why I want to have Julianne on, even though this is a nationwide, a worldwide, international podcast, is that, you know, when I went to one of her classes to learn about this um, comprehensive sex education that she's been so concerned with, and I really wanted to bring this message to my audience because this this isn't just an Idaho problem. This is a worldwide, you know, situation. And that's what I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about is what comprehensive sex education is and maybe some of your concerns with that. Sure. So part of what we're seeing is that we have a real divide in America and around the world in terms of worldviews and what people believe about uh, just basic things like who we are as human beings and what life is all about and stuff like that. So we have an increasing percentage of people that believe that you know, we just kind of showed up here on Earth and we're just a, a bunch of cells. And so while we're here, the most important thing is that we feel good and that we have the things that make life convenient and easy. And there's there's not really a sense of personal accountability that's associated with choices because you don't believe that there's a creator or a God or that you know, there's anything beyond this life to hold you accountable for your choices. So from a perspective like that, you know, abortion's okay, because once you're dead, you're dead. And it doesn't matter all that much. Um, And if we're just a mass of cells, a lot of people just think that a baby's just a mass of cells, you know, until it's crazy. Yeah, and euthanasia is okay, because the goal is to be comfortable while you're here, right? Yeah. So as soon as you reach a point where you're less comfortable then, you know, that's, you may as well not be here anymore, is kind of the perspective. Um, and it's interesting because if you follow this worldview, uh, these same ideas um, tend to show up in association with socialism, um, less concerned about individual liberty and more concerned about seeing that people have all of the material comforts provided for them. So there's kind of a domino effect in terms of how this philosophy affects the choices that you make and the kinds of public policy that you prefer. Uh, And we see this reflected in the way that sex education is being approached. If you look at Planned Parenthood and their issue brief on sex education in the United States, they say that uh, as human beings, we have a right to sexual information and sexual pleasure. And in some other places, they'll say a right to sexual expression. This is something that they believe we're born with, a right to sexual pleasure and sexual information and and expression. So this is a really different perspective from a worldview that believes that there are rights and wrongs and that like sexual intimacy have an appropriate place and time in society, that they're not just about us and what feels good and what we happen to want, but that we have responsibilities to a family that's bigger than us and to children that will come after us. <laughs> and, yeah. and these kinds of ideas, it's an entirely different world of view with different outcomes. Well, and that's what we do here is paradigm changing. And I really feel like this particular topic that we're talking about is just a different paradigm change because we know that um, not everyone in the world believes that, you know, there is a time and a place for sexual education stuff. And and I definitely want to make, let's kind of get into the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about here. Yeah, everyone needs, we're thinking, yes, kids need to know how you know, the mechanics of things work and stuff. And there are a lot of parents that don't teach their kids about sex ed. You know, what's the difference between what you're seeing now and what our sex ed in Idaho in particular used to be and where this comprehensive sex education wants to go? Because like I said, this is an international movement, correct? Right, right, it is. And one other important thing to keep in mind here, too, is that this is about worldviews, but it's also about parental rights. And the question of 
who has a right to teach their worldview to your child? And do they have to get your permission first? We are definitely not saying that there should be no education. What we're saying is if you come from a perspective where you believe there are things that are right and wrong and that behaviors are associated with personal responsibility, then you're going to want a sex education program that's going to include a focus on personal responsibility, that's going to teach risk avoidance, that's going to give kids the information and the skills that they need to make informed choices that will keep them safe. Because a lot of the behaviors that are being promoted in a pleasure-centered type of sex education actually are very counterproductive to the long-term health and happiness of people. So from more of a moral basis, and by that I don't mean like one particular religious faith, I just mean the basic idea that there are right and wrong things. You want a kind of sex education that's going to connect actions with consequences. So instead of saying, we're going to teach you how to do whatever you want, and we're going to give you for free all of the tools that you need to do it without any consequences or any responsibility, and you can expect to get that on the public dollar without having to talk to your parents. You know, that's a very different approach to sex education, an approach that really undermines a parent's ability to to be involved with their child and also to teach their values to their children. If they're getting contradicting values at school, then what they're getting at home, you know, their teacher is an authority figure. And the parent is an authority figure, and that's very confusing and hard on children and can be devastating to families. Yeah, exactly. And what was some of the language in particularly here that you saw trying to change that it was taking away parental rights? Yeah, a good question. So the change was was an interesting one. The proponents of the bill claimed that our existing bill was too vague and that it was too spread out. It was in four different sections in state statute. They were right in a row, but they were segmented. And so they said, you know, we're, we're just going to clarify and consolidate. And the purpose statement of the bill was to remove antiquated language from the bill. So the language that they were removing is the kind of language that I'm talking about that would be associated with a worldview where you think that people are responsible for their choices, Um, teaching sex education in the context of the miracle of life, and um, teaching about the power of the sex drive and the need for (laughs) self-discipline, and teaching it in the context of you have a responsibility to your family now and to the family that you'll have someday. All of that is language that's based in seeing ourselves as part of a larger society, and not just someone who has a right to do whatever they want. So all of that language was identified as antiquated language, and that entire section of Idaho Code was being removed. But there was also another uh, very significant change that was concerning to us, and that is the parental rights issue. In existing code, it says that the primary responsibility for sex education rests upon the home and the church, and that the schools can only complement and supplement the values taught in the home. So some people have said, well, that's impossible. Different homes teach different things, and the schools can never complement and supplement what every individual family does. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't see it that way at all. Um, what they're doing there is putting a limit on the authority of the of the public education or of the government, because that's what we're talking about here. They're putting a limit on the power of government and saying, basically, you can't teach kids things that go against or detract from the standards established in their home. Well, in- that's powerful language. Yeah. Well, and the thing that I found really compelling about your presentation is you talked about the difference between opt-in and opt-out, and I think that goes with this type of language. Is that correct? It does. Maybe before I jump to that, let me share with you the new language that was proposed for that parental rights segment. 
Um, I told you that she pulled the first version of the bill and redrafted it. When she redrafted it, the second version of the bill introduced new language that said that the state of Idaho recognizes the importance of families in all aspects of their children's education and that they wanted a strong school-home connection to facilitate or support the teaching of sex education curriculum that respects community values. So you can see there, now it's the job of the family to support the schools in teaching community values. Yeah, yeah. Instead of the responsibility of the schools to not violate the values taught in the home. So they completely, yeah, they reversed the role, the legal authority in terms of who gets to set the limits on what's taught regarding sex education. So that was very concerning to us. And as we saw these changes that were being made, one of the things that we said right off is, okay, if they're going to take the language out of the state code that's requiring them to teach more of a personal responsibility, there are rights and wrongs, accountability for your actions kind of sex education, then at least we want parents to be notified and to have the right to make a personal decision about whether their child participates or not. Right now under state code, we have what's called an opt-out policy. That means that if a parent is aware, they happen to be aware that something is going to be taught at school and they have concerns about it, they have a right to go to the school district office and the school district has to give them a form that they can fill out to opt their child out of that sex education class. But the catch is that the parent has to happen to know and they have to take the initiative to go to the office. Yeah. How many of us know every day what their child's going to be taught at school that day, you know? Yeah. We we just don't. That's the thing and that I thought no re- was interesting. I mean, I remember being a kid and whatever movie or whatever was being shown, everyone took a paper home so your parents knew and you had to actually, they had to sign it so you could, mm-hmm. you know, watch the movie or whatever. So definitely right. different. Yeah. Yeah. So we said, okay, if we're going to change the law while we're changing it, at least we want you to give us an opt-in. And our representative would not look at that. She just kept talking about how, well, I better explain first. An opt-in means that the school has to notify you before they teach certain topics and have a signed note saying that your child has permission to participate, which to me makes a great deal of sense. Like you're saying, when we were kids, we got notes for lots of things. And parental permission, Um, we have to get parental permission for field trips and Tylenol and (laughs) lots of other things. So certainly the topic of sex education, family life and sex education is important enough that parents have a right to be informed and to give their consent or not about this issue. So we've talked about parental rights and how, you know, the language was changing to try to strip parental rights away. I'd love to also kind of move into now what this comprehensive sex education looks like that, you know, we should be so concerned about, you know, especially not having any parental rights after the language has been stripped away. Are there different points about this message that you can tell us about? Yeah. So the foundational premise of comprehensive sex education is, as we were saying earlier, the idea that children are sexual beings from birth, that life is just about feeling good. So we have a right to sexual pleasure, sexual information, and sexual expression. And that means that we have a right to explore sexually anything we want. And there shouldn't be any feelings of guilt or anything like that associated with it. People should just be free with no right and no wrong to do whatever they would like. So this shows up in comprehensive sex ed in a lot of different ways. But part of it is very, very graphic um, instruction to children on different sexual acts. Um, And a lot of these programs are taught K-12 and generally they start out with the kindergartners in more subtle ways, just talking about, you know, king and king or 
uh, Michael's new dress, uh, stories, introducing ideas that some parts of our body feel good when we touch them. Some of the standards call for introducing uh, masturbation to kids at, you know, from zero to four. Wow. Um, and really promoting the idea of exploring sexually from a young age. Well, like you said, zero um, to four. That's baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the thing that right. I just found so shocking, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, because there is no right and wrong. So if it feels good, do it. And as they get older, uh, it just becomes more and more graphic. Um, some of the fourth grade books and examples that I've seen have line drawings of um, people in sexual positions. They're just very, very explicit and very graphic. It's the kind of stuff that if a stranger on a park bench showed it to your child, you would probably report it to the police. Yeah, yeah. Because you would assume that he was a pedophile or, (laughs) you know, whoever it was. And, And then the other thing that's happening in combination with this is there's a big push toward experiential learning right now. And so there's a lot of role playing that happens. So some of these curriculums will set out, the curricula will uh, set out this situation where the kids are supposed to pretend that the last several times they had sex, it was unprotected. And so they're supposed to get up in front of the class and have a conversation with this other student about how they're going to make a plan to be sure that they're having safe sex this time. Who's going to bring the condom? What's that all going to look like? Wow, yeah. (laughs) Kind of stuff. And so, you know, when you start taking it not only from a, a visual input where they're seeing things, but now they're acting things out together with classmates in ways that really normalize sexual activity, for kids, that takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. Before we go on, please listen to this message. If you enjoy this content, you can help us with as little or as much as you'd like over at patreon.com forward slash the luminous mind. These funds help us to continue to produce illuminating content with needed equipment and resources to spread the message of changing the educational paradigm. We appreciate all the ways our listeners help us continue this effort through patreon.com forward slash the luminous mind by expanding exclusive content, giving away gifts, and giving patrons first seen products on patreon.com forward slash the luminous mind. taking a stand for our youth. She showed us a a great movie on what this comprehensive sex education is about, and I definitely will attach it so that you can watch it. But it was like, like she said, the text and the pictures are very graphic. And one of the things I kind of want to talk about is, um, you know, a lot of parents don't teach their children about sex. This goes way beyond, you know, just regular sex ed, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. It does go way beyond it. And, and, you know, we've had some sex education in Idaho for a long time. We have a sex education statute that was there, but it did require them to teach that within a context of personal responsibility and being accountable for your choices, where this other is a, an entirely different spin on it. Yeah. And, and one that really puts children at risk. And the uh, American Family Policy Alliance came and gave testimony along those lines, talking about the risk that this new statute posed to children because there are no safeguards, there are no limits in the newly proposed statute in terms of what can be taught. And so you're dealing with material that has the ability to become addictive, that has the ability to actually change the way people's brains function when you look at addictions to pornography and to masturbation and other things, it literally changes the way that people's 
brains work and their ability to have relationships with real people. Well, so, and it sets them up to be victimized, in my opinion, because um, like you're saying, uh, it becomes very normalized. And that's what, um, you know, I just got done with a Boy Scout training and the Boy Scouts are really just cautious about everybody knowing, you know, what what a potential pedophile might or a person who wants to victimize children would look like. And one of them is that they show them pornographic material. They act things out, like you said, beforehand, and then it gets it very normalized. And so the children or the child or the victim, I mean, he becomes a victim then because he's just so it's so ingrained that this is okay that it makes him an easy victim, Mm -hmm. correct? I mean, yeah, I'd love to hear about the normalization of that. Yeah, that is a pattern that we see in society with people that are looking for sexual abuse victims. An interesting thing, there was a little slide in a presentation that I got from a group of moms in Texas, and they pointed out that according to the FBI, child molesters use pornography to groom children into a sexual relationship in the following ways. They demonstrate sex acts to children. They lower the sexual inhibitions of children. They desensitize children to sex, and they sexually arouse children. And then they went on to draw the parallel that Planned Parenthood, which is something we haven't talked about quite yet. (laughs) (laughs) Planned Parenthood is actually right in the thick of CSE. They produce a significant amount of CSE curricula, and they are closely tied with um, national organizations that are giving funding to promote it. And they're actually coming into classrooms to teach it. And then, you know, some of the homework assignments, the kids are drawing maps showing how they're going to get to the closest Planned Parenthood clinic without a car so that they can get there without parental consent. Wow. Um, they're, they're telling the kids, you know, you can have these services on the public dollar without parental consent after you're 12 years old. So they're really cutting parents out of the, out of the picture. But these moms in Texas on this slide made the point that Planned Parenthood is using sex education to groom children for sex and create a demand for their services, wow. which include abortion, which include um, all the contraceptives and the counseling, um, as well as now they're providing transgender surgeries and hormones and that kind of stuff. So they have a financial interest in seeing children get involved sexually. And so there's really a huge problem with the conflict of interest there, too. Yeah, I'd say that's like... Uh... I'm trying to think of any, like if, well, anything, if you were to allow a company to come in and basically, you know, stock everything for the child and whatever product, there would be parents that are just totally outraged, you know, that their their child's being used to sell to at school, right? And Planned Parenthood is doing that for us in the sex industry, for sure. Yeah, Absolutely. Awesome. Well, and one of the things that I would love to hear, um, another thing that I found shocking with your presentation is that some of the language, like uh, the layperson might look at it and go, well, that's not so bad. That's kind of appropriate for, you know, sex ed and, and stuff. But tell us like the key language that we should look for when we're approaching this comprehensive sex education that should really be concerning to us. Yeah. You know, there's a thing called doublespeak, right? Where one person says a word and, and someone else assumes that they know what it means, but the two people see it very differently. And there are some great examples of that with comprehensive sex ed. Uh, one word that gets used as doublespeak in a lot of these curriculums is the idea of abstinence. So when most of us hear the word abstinence, somebody says we're going to teach abstinence-based education, we assume that that means they're going to teach the kids that they shouldn't be sexually active, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but from a CSE perspective, abstinence means sexual behavior that doesn't result in pregnancy or STDs. So an example of that would be like masturbation so, and, or oral sex oral or Oral sex. Yeah. Anal sex. Um, oh, wow. They've got books for seventh graders on dry humping and, you know, all kinds of stuff. But all wow. kinds of sexual exploration 
is encouraged in the name of abstinence education because the focus is on does it get you pregnant? <laughs> and, you know, that's another interesting thing about what they're doing with CSE. The big benefit that they keep pointing to is this reduces pregnancy. This reduces teen pregnancy. Well, 80% of unplanned pregnancies happen because of failed contraceptives. <laughs> yeah. So if you're taking children and you're encouraging them to experiment sexually and you're giving them free contraceptives, you're setting them up. Yeah. You're setting them up for a problem. But, you know, this is really the only benefit that they can point to because so many of these behaviors are linked to incredible risks in terms of their mental, emotional, and physical health in the long term. So really the only benefit they can point to is, well, we're giving kids stuff to keep them from getting pregnant. And it gets carried to a really absurd extreme even. Um, one CSE curriculum that I saw some excerpts from just recently encouraged kids to role play some of these sexual situations with people of the same and opposite gender because they said, you know, people of all different genders and sexual orientations need to know how to avoid the risk of pregnancy. Oh, wow. That's interesting. (laughs) I had to really scratch my head over that one. <laughs> yeah, There are some kinds of, of sexual activities that are not going to get you pregnant. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that is interesting for sure. But, but just, they still pointed to that benefit. <laughs> so there's just a ton of like misinformation in a way as well. I mean, to go along with that right. of what doesn't get you pregnant. <laughs> right. Right. You know, I'm realizing I digressed a little bit from your original question, which was about the double speak. Uh-huh. So abstinence is a good example of double speak. A couple of other good examples would be the term age appropriate. When most of us hear that, we assume, well, these kinds of topics are not appropriate for kindergartners. They're not appropriate for fourth graders. But if you believe that children are sexual from birth, then your idea of age appropriate is going to be very different. Yeah, when we're saying zero to four, um, that's totally fine, yeah. right? Yeah. Right. From that perspective, that is what they call age appropriate. And it's not what most Idahoans, at least, would consider <laughs> age appropriate. And one last term that's a little bit misleading is the term medically accurate. And in the Family Policy Alliance testimony during the hearing, I thought they did a really good job of pointing out that just because a curriculum is medically accurate doesn't mean that it's okay. Because there's a lot of very detailed information about sexuality that could be given to children, but not be appropriate or okay. Yeah. Well, and medically, you know, you're thinking, okay, they're going to learn the correct terms for, which I I think that's important that they actually know what parts their body is called. But Mm -hmm. but when we you were showing us that video, it almost was like, what? That's medically, you know, they use just really odd terms. I think like. Very perverse terms, too. Right. Well, and and I think that there is, um, for me personally at least, you cross a line when you go from talking just about basic biology. This is um, how it works in terms of how a child is conceived to talking about sexual experience. Yeah to identifying, you know, how you stimulate parts of the body yeah. um, and giving the details of sexual intercourse. You know, for me as a parent, you have definitely crossed the line there yeah. in terms of what I believe is appropriate for children. And so, well, like we talked you know, about medically, it, it sets them up to be groomed. I mean, it's a grooming thing for sure. So, yes, yes, absolutely. So, well, and I'd love to hear, you know, a lot of my audience maybe don't have kids in public education or really, you know, I don't know, we don't worry about, you know, what's being taught there. But why should a person that doesn't have children in the public education worry about this uh, comprehensive sex education? Yeah, well, there's a lot of reasons. First of all, even if you happen to homeschool, your kids have got to grow up and marry someone, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and and you're going to have grandkids, 
And your grandkids may be in a public school classroom, but the other side of that is that what these organizations are actually working to do, and this is their own self-proclaimed objective, is to change the cultural and sexual norms in society. So we're talking about something that is going to affect our entire culture. Uh, The family is the fundamental unit of society. And so if you're teaching kids behaviors that disrupt the family, then that one thing alone has a huge domino effect. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we're seeing that now. The falling apart of the family has created so many other social ills in our society, correct? Is that? That's right. That's right. In terms of criminal activity, in terms of economic stability, in terms of academic success, in terms of their long-term emotional stability, all of these things are affected by whether or not they have a strong family support system. So that one issue by itself is something that every, every responsible citizen parent, adult, <laughs> should be concerned about, besides the fact that what's happening really is the victimization of children, yeah. which is something we want to stand up for. But the other, the other thing that is maybe more subtle legally for home education in particular is that as long as the state statute acknowledges the primary authority of parents, it keeps the government out of your home. Yeah, for sure. And as soon as they say in state statute, it's the responsibility of the family to teach community values. You've lost control of your curriculum, even as a homeschooler, if the time ever comes that home educators are required to follow state education statutes. And so at that point in time, you know, maybe... Maybe you have a different idea about what's appropriate to teach your child about sexuality, but somebody else has the authority to come in and say, that doesn't align with what we've decided the community values are. So, you know, we're, we're going to pull your child or, you know, whatever. So uh, yeah. there are some concerning things there. Well, and you've talked about, I mean, we're obviously, I mean, you're running for legislature in Idaho, but you've talked about how you've worked with women from all over the United States in this, um, you know, in this effort. You know, give us an idea. I mean, I, we we already talked about we're up against Planned Parenthood in a way, but what are some organizations that, um, do you have any maybe other organizations that you feel like are um, helping to support this implementation of the comprehensive sex education. Yeah, absolutely. The Sex Education and Information Council of the U.S. is an organization that is a federal organization, and they distribute our federal tax dollars to promote um, CSE. Um, And they're using those tax dollars to encourage states to begin implementing it. We have some CSE curriculum in Idaho, not through our schools, but through our state health departments because of CECAS grants, and those are being taught by health department personnel in some of our schools. But the other, the other place that we see this really big, and you mentioned earlier that this is in other countries. I've had multiple people come and talk to me about having been on um, missions or you know serving in other countries and seeing this stuff come into some of these third world countries and, and places around the world because this is being pushed really hard by the United Nations and Planned Parenthood has an enormous voice at the United Nations and works closely with UNICEF and some of these other international organizations in promoting this. Wow. That's crazy. Well, give us some long-term goals that you are, you know, that you have for yourself and how you're hoping to further this message. Yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I hope to accomplish is just general public awareness, first of all, because if parents don't know about it, they can't stand up against it. And I feel like as adults, we have a responsibility to be informed and to be willing to take some heat so that we can keep our kids out of the crossfire. Because, you know, our, our children don't belong in the crossfire of this sexual revolutionary kind of movement that is unfolding in places in our society 
that in addition to educating other people, I think that we've got to stand up and take action. I'm hoping that the decision to run this year will send a clear message to the Idaho legislature that when it comes to parental rights over our children, our authority to say, this is appropriate for my child and you may or may not teach them these things, that this is a hands-off issue. You know, Idaho parents are not going to just roll over and let the government teach our kids whatever they want about these sensitive topics. So if we can send that message loud and clear, then I think we will have done a lot of good. That's great. And then, of course, should I win, I will have an opportunity to advocate for parental rights, for local control, for all of these kinds of issues that are so important to us in Boise. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the crazy things about all of this is wherever you're at, you know, there's all these international organizations that are pushing this on people. There's no sovereignty for your area and what you believe. This is a, a nationwide and international problem because of these organizations that we're competing against that are powerful and, you know, are well-funded and all of those things. So, I'd love to know, you know, if somebody's interested in knowing more about this comprehensive sex education, is there a link that they can go to to become better aware of of this? Yeah. So my website is youngforidahohouse.com, and I have the story of, of our experience with this bill and just some general information about CSE on my website. Another place that someone could go is familywatchinternational.org. And also stopcse.org. Those would all be good places to go just to just to get your feet wet. That's great. You know, Rebecca, can I back up? There's one other little piece that sure. I wish we'd talked about. Sure. Go ahead. <laughs> another interesting part of our experience with this bill was that we became aware pretty early on that the National Organization of Women was backing this bill. And they actually sent out an email to their membership announcing that they supported these proposed changes to Idaho legislation, but that they had a Republican who was the chair of the education committee who was sponsoring the bill. They had high hopes that it would pass, and they were afraid that if organizations like now, the National Organization of Women, which is a radical feminist group that's very pro-abortion Um, and has pushed for the normalization of lesbianism since 1973. They said if, if organizations like now and Planned Parenthood come out in support of this bill, then we're concerned that it will scare Republicans away from voting for it. Oh, wow. So, (laughs) you know, the representative that sponsored it has continued to insist that her bill did not open the door for these organizations to come in. Uh, She took out two important words in the bill. It used to say that school district community groups could participate in the creation of sex education curriculum. She took out the word school district. So now it just says community groups. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Which means that they can come and demand a seat at the curriculum table. And then parents are sitting directly across the table from Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood is going to completely dilute the parental voice because they have so much money and power and influence. Well, and if it's not if it's not done through the school board or, you know, through that um, school district, I mean, that's an elected representative that you actually have control over. But if it's just community groups that are making it and handing it to them and saying, this is what you're going to teach, there is no like there's no um, check or balance on that. Correct. I mean, that's the real concern, I would think. Right. Well, and the language says school district shall involve community groups. So that says to me that if a community group, any community group comes to the school district and says, we want to be involved, the law stipulates that they shall involve them, not may choose to involve, (laughs) but shall involve. So forces the hand, correct? 
it it does it does and people have said oh no you know it that can't happen in idaho that that's not what it means i have to ask if it does not open the door for those organizations to get involved in sex education curriculum why are they backing the changes exactly for sure do you have any final parting words for our listeners before we say goodbye Oh, just that we are so blessed to live in this free country where we have an opportunity to stand up for the things that we value and that we know are important to us and to our children. And so, you know, get get informed and get involved because the decisions that are being made, the discussions that are being had right now are so important for the future of our families. That's wonderful. Again, we've been chatting with activist and parent Julianne Young. Her website, if you'd like to find out more about her, is youngforidahohouse.com. And she also has some links on that um, so that you can learn more about this comprehensive sex education, because like she said, she's definitely into educating us on this. But I'm going to be sure to link all the information that we've discussed today on our website as well. But thank you so much, Julianne, for coming on and for helping to light our minds on fire on this really important topic of sex education and how we can be involved as parents. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Rebecca. Thank you for listening to The Luminous Mind. To learn more about Julianne Young, go to the show notes at theluminousmind.net. Be sure to become a subscriber to our free email list and help us continue production of illuminating content by sponsoring us at patreon.com forward slash luminousmind. To get exclusive content, subscribe on YouTube, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, Google+, Pinterest, and now Instagram. To help us grow, consider these easy ways. Tell your friends about us, leave us a review, share our content. Tell us how we can help you so together we can continue to light minds on fire and change the paradigm of education. 